Good morning, good morning, everyone. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you guys. Um, I'm here with my wife, Matina, and our five kiddos, and uh, we're glad to worship the Lord with you guys. Um, we are church planting as well, and so it's always cool to come in and see the, the innovations and, and the different creativity that God's people are, you know, putting together to see the actual church be what it is, um, a people who point to Jesus, and so Israel is a, he's a cool dude, man, that's my guy, and uh, you guys have a, a blessed pastor. And as he continues to grow in his leadership and his call to pastor you guys, I'm excited to stand with him and see what God's going to do here, because I think he's going to do something real special here in Irving at Redeemer Church. Um, we are planting Trinity Gospel Church. Uh, we live in the South Oak Cliff area, so we actually are wanting to target uh, South Dallas and South Oak Cliff as we seek to be the church in that context. Uh, we've just seen um, a number of things there that we know that the gospel can remedy. Uh, the gospel's been there. The gospel's really everywhere, uh, just working and, and doing powerful things in the lives of people. And uh, we felt called and burdened to see the Lord do a work in that context. Uh, two of those neighborhoods, those two neighborhoods are historically the trendsetters for Dallas in particular. Um, and, and when you think about those two contexts, what we want to see is grace just pouring into those spaces and in the lives of men, women, boys, and girls. Uh, so that they live for the King. Uh, we sang some songs here a minute ago about praising the name of the Lord our God, our King, right? He's our Savior King. And, and so our mission is to be a redeemed people who exist to proclaim the King so that all can know eternal life. That's our mission. Um, and so it's just an, an expanded version of what you guys say in your mission. Um, but all of it is um, our own particular sense of uh, being faithful to the Great Commission. And so having said that, that's, that's our mission, and Trinity Gospel Church uh, seeks to do that in the South Dallas area, uh, serving both South Dallas and South Oak Cliff. So as you remember us, as we're church planning, uh, we are eyeballing a timeline of, of launching in the fall, and if you guys remember us, please keep us in prayer as well, that God would send laborers, laborers who do the labor of love um, in Jesus' name for his sake, so that people would know him. Please keep us in prayer. Without further ado, I do want to turn to the scriptures this morning and, and look at John 5, uh, verses 25 um, to 29. I know you guys are in a series on the book of John, and so I wanted to take up this opportunity to, to dive in. When Israel asked me to come and preach, um, and he told me the passage, I was, I was ready to roll. I was like, this is, this is going to be a good passage. Uh, not just because it's one to preach, but because it's one for me. Um, it's one that I need to hear. It's one that I need to hear again and again, even as um, I seek to be a believer who's faithful to the call of the Great Commission in a culture that is very comfortable, very sedated. And uh, this text, um, I think, can wake folks up out of their stupor. And um, yeah, so this is for me. Uh, just as much as I've prepared and, and want to preach this to you, it's, it's for me. Um, so without further ado, if you will stand, if you're able, uh, for the reading of God's word, <clears throat> find yourself in John 5, verse 25 through 29, and we will read our text this morning. John 5, chapter 25 to 29. 
And God's word says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And this is God's word to us. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. One of the things that I'm constantly struck by in our culture is the hyper-focus and attention culture gives to culture. Uh, For example, social media. Culture can be defined in many ways, but what people contribute to their family uh, of origin, community, society, and the world at large is essentially culture. What people are and produce is culture. And so unknown to them, uh, their God-given imaginations run wild, and they begin to construct an experience or a reality that they believe best suits them. So essentially, you have self-expression giving way to everyone and they express this self-expression on various platforms, and they, they seek to have their own voice heard. Here's a few of those platforms or types of group self-expression, if you will. And this is in no special order. But you have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the worldwide internet, television, national newspapers, local newspapers, news tabloids, local news channels, local radio stations, blogs, vlogs, vlogs, YouTube, GodTube, Wikipedia, company memorandums, family meetings, podcasts, company websites, presidential addresses, parent-teacher conferences, toddlers to teenagers, all yelling, mine. And it's, it's really essential to pick up on that because ultimately what they're saying is my point of view. It can be quite overwhelming with so many voices in the culture. And therefore, in our sociological and technological diverse world, we become a place inhabited by unlimited influencers and authorities that seek to promote their voice. Seems like everyone has something to say. On YouTube alone, you can learn about virtually anything, just to name one of these platforms. On YouTube, you can learn how to bake cookies. You can learn how to make authentic Italian pasta sauce. You can learn dance moves. My my kids right now, we just watched a YouTube video on getting sturdy. Y'all heard of the sturdy dance? I'm learning to get sturdy from YouTube. You can learn about politics. You can learn about gender and sexuality, global crisis, travel, financial investments, stocks, health and wellness. Uh, There are so many different things that you could learn from these different spaces. 
<clears throat> and what I want us to understand is that if you pick one of these and you look at the particular contribution of this byproducts, it's people's imagination that is being uh, those who are self-governing. For example, you have men who are made men, or perhaps you have like alpha men who try to uh, present this kind of persona of being the top guy. Or you, you have uh, women who are independent women. I uh, don't need a man. I can do it all by myself. Uh, you have some men and women even identifying altogether as another gender. But how do we get to this point? How do you get to that point? Some would possibly even describe my using the highly sensitive topic of gender as an example of self-governing imagination as one of bigotry. Like, I, I, could, I can't even say that that is an expression of self-governing. And that would be, again, by and large, a byproduct of one segment of our society. It's a particular cultural expression. But I would argue that, that asking that question of those who identify as this or that gender, it's not bigotry, but it's a question of bias. But what kind of bias? To that question, I would reply, it is a bias to a, or if you want to be more clear and definitive, it's, it's a bias to the voice that said person is listening to. One voice. Whose voice will you listen to? Will culture's voice speak louder and more definitively than God's? Many in the culture unabashedly say, absolutely, I have no need of God. I have no need of your Bible. And yet the voice of God speaks. And what does he say? Here in our passage is where scripture places the fork in the road. Here is where God's word states in the clearest terms heaven's overarching view on what the ultimate end for those who do both good and evil will be. So ultimately, I think our text emphasizes this point, that the voice of God comes definitively through the Son of God. Jesus, and says to the world, choose life or death. The voice of God comes definitively through God the Son, Jesus, and he says to the world, to the culture, choose life or death. And with that in mind, as we look at John 5, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just pause now in this moment. Thank you that Jesus has come to the world, has been sent into the world so that we would know what your will is. And it is not your will that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Those who have eternal life for those who have believed. Oh, Lord, as we listen to your voice today through your word, help us to believe. Give us the faith to believe, for without faith, 
it is impossible to please you, Lord. So Holy Spirit, move now in a powerful way. Soften our hearts so that we learn all the more, Lord, what it means to follow the leading of your voice. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we continue to think about the, the differences between the two voices, that of culture and that of God, what I want to do is look at the broader context for where our passage situates itself and where we find Jesus actually confronting the Jews about their misunderstandings, not only of God's law, but of life itself. Um, you have the religious um, orient of the day, and, and, and they are trying to push a particular kind of agenda. They have a voice of their own. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish culture of the day, they want to say things about the law that Jesus doesn't square with. Jesus thinks they're off. For example, even just in a few verses earlier, we see Jesus healing a man at a pool. We also see Jesus healing an official son. We see Jesus doing all of these things on what was the Sabbath. And according to the religious leaders of that day, you could not heal on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus is saying and what he wants to correct for them is their understanding of the law, but also their understanding of life. Uh, Jesus himself is the life. This is where you get uh, John's gospel, even in the first chapter, right out the gate, John writing, talking about Jesus in a very powerful way, in a very vivid way, contextualizing the truth of who Jesus is and what he's experienced in the Christ to them in language that they can grasp. Listen to this real quick. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, <clears throat> without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, right? So we get John talking about who Jesus is, we get Jesus trying to correct the understandings of the Jewish religious culture of his day, correcting their misunderstandings about the law and life itself. We even see Jesus in the third chapter of John giving true spiritual insight to the rabbi Nicodemus on what it means to have new life, or in the words of the text, what it means to be born again. So a life, a, 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 to enter into an experience of life that um, is, is really what God intended it to be. All of this is what Jesus is doing to try to help them understand what it means to know God. And what it means to ultimately hear the voice of God. And if you look here in the text, this is uh, wonderful about John 5 because we have Jesus now, after all of this context in John 5, 25 through 29, you have this spike in the conversation where he's going about from healing people, having conversations about the law, addressing spiritual matters about being born again and new life with God. And then all of a sudden you get to our passage today and he starts talking about death 
and the resurrection. And here immediately the Pharisees, their spiritual ears would have perked up because they believed in the resurrection. They believed that there would be physical raising from the dead and a spiritual union with the body at some point according to what they believed from their scriptural teachings. And you get Jesus just taking the conversation to another level by what he's saying here. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, truly, truly, which is another way of saying real talk or listen up or amen, amen. This, he's like, listen in. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. So stop right here for a moment. If Jesus is saying, like, seriously, listen to me, the, when the dead, oh, excuse me, let me back up. An hour is coming and is now here. What Jesus is doing here, he is saying that something is already occurring, but there's going to be even a fuller experience of what's already present. And what he's talking about is the eternal life that he is going to continue to expound on in the Gospel of John. See, in other Gospels, we call these the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John writes from a very, like, philosophical perspective. He, he gives you different abstract ways to understand who Jesus is. That's why John 1 is the way it is. That's, that's why he talks and writes the way he does. But basically, when we look at this, he's trying to talk about not just kingdom language that you read in the synoptic gospels, but he wants to talk about eternal life language. And so when you read through John's gospel, you'll pick up on that theme. And so he says, an hour is coming and is now here. There is eternal life present now. There is an experience with God happening now. And then he goes on to add to that and says, within this hour, something else is going to happen. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So I've entitled the sermon, One Voice, Two Resurrections. Here's where we get our one voice. You notice the article, if you're looking at verse 25, the voice of the Son of God. This is the appointed voice. Again, if you're an outliner and you take notes, this would be your first point, the appointed voice. What we are seeing here is that if God is sending his son into the world to speak on behalf of God, and the Godhead, he, he wants them to know that there is an appointed son who will speak on his behalf. This is really interesting because this, this also squares with other places in Scripture. Do you realize that there's nothing, there's nothing flippant about what's going on here, what Jesus is, is saying to them at this high point in this conversation? Jesus is dead serious at this moment. I could just see him locking eyes on the Pharisees or on the Jews that he's talking to, and he's saying with the most intensity he can muster, Right now is the time for this conversation about eternal life. Right now is the conversation that we need to have about what God says about eternity. 
and he locks in on them. And he says that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Picture this, for example. You have seen uh, courtrooms and law courts where um, the judge comes in. First of all, everything that's going on before the legal proceedings are taking place or people kind of shuffling around, people talking, uh, lawyers or counselors or whatever they're having, their conversations, things are moving around. The bailiff is standing at the door. Um, and then all of a sudden, everyone uh, begins to get quiet. They hear a door rattle. And then you hear the bailiff say, now rise. And then everyone comes to attention because who's entering this space? The judge. This is an appointed member of law who will oversee the evidence of the proceedings in order to give what at the end when all has been heard and said? A what? A verdict. And Jesus says, at this moment, there will be a day when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And this will be the voice that will give that ultimate verdict. It's the appointed voice. I think it best captures what's going on here. Jesus is, Jesus is not some uh, additional rabbi that has, you know, learned the, the ways of the Torah. He, he, he is not one that you can put on par with them. Even in his younger years, when he was a child, he was sitting in the synagogue asking the rabbis of his day when he was a child and baffling them with his questions. You see, this is God the Son. This is... God wrapped in human flesh come to humanity to speak truth, to shed genuine light on life itself. God is very meticulous with his details. I love that phrase. I learned that phrase from a professor who always talked about how God, in his control and in oversight of everything, called God meticulous. And it stuck with me because he, he really is meticulous. Beloved, do you all understand that time is moving along under the ever watchful eye of God? There is nothing under time and space that God does not control. Now, you might feel like that when you're late for work and you're rushing and the light turns red and now you're spilling coffee and you're upset and that sort of thing. You might feel like God's not in control, but he's even, con even in control over those situations. But let me give you Bible. That, let me give you Bible. Here we go. All right, watch this. It's, this story stands out to me as one of the most meticulous examples that I've read in Scripture. Um, just an amazing an amazing story. So the children of Israel, just a quick example, the children of Israel are being uh, lorded over by the Egyptians in Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we read of this story where they are enslaved by the Egyptian people. And one of the things that God does to help his people escape is he sends plagues, right? And one of those plagues was a plague of a swarm of flies. So you can go back and read this. It's, it's, it's astonishing. Um, and if you're living in Dallas right now, you understand that we've got flies everywhere. And you understand what we're dealing with on a, a very small scale, right? But the Bible says in this historical account, 
That what happened in Egypt as God was delivering his people, setting them free, giving them salvation, in his meticulous plot to offer salvation, he says that he sends a swarm of flies to Egypt. Look at this in in, uh, Exodus 8.23. He says, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, the text says, this sign shall happen. So it's got even a day when the plague is actually going to happen. So right here in the text of Scripture, if you look, you already understand that God has a, a, a direction and an understanding of what he wants to do with time. Verse 24 goes on and says, and the Lord did so. <laughs> so he said it was going to happen tomorrow. And then the verse right after that says, and he did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarm of flies. Now let me jump to the end of what happened. Because the flies came, they destroyed the plague. It did what it did uh, according to God's judgment on Egypt and Pharaoh. But then look at verse 31. So the flies wreaked havoc. Pharaoh was upset. He wanted them to leave. They go and they pray. They seek God. The flies leave. And look at verse 31. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Look at this phrase. Not one remained. Y'all know how hard it is to kill one fly? The Bible says he is so meticulous that not one fly remained. Now, when you jump back over to John 5, and he says that there is an hour coming when the dead will hear his voice, the voice of the Son of God, God is not playing, y'all. And so we as believers have to take seriously the one who has been appointed to speak on behalf of the Godhead, on behalf of the eternal perspective of what is coming and facing humanity. We should weep with tears in our eyes that there will be folks who will face this voice, who will face this Christ. And the Bible says that truly, truly, it will happen seriously. There will be a day when the voice speaks and they will have to give an account and the verdict will be given. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, there's a famous verse that I think probably everybody when they first get saved memorizes, and it's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 27. And it says, oh, excuse me, not Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 27, and it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is an inescapable reality that will will come to fruition. So the appointed voice of Jesus Christ is here speaking to the Jews, and he is not just speaking to them to, to, to browbeat them, to shame them, make them feel bad about the fact that there will be a day when judgment comes. No, he's he's actually speaking to them to say that there's more than just judgment. There's actually life when the voice speaks. That the appointed voice of Jesus, when he speaks, it's not all judgment. He did not come to condemn the world, 
But he came so that the world might be saved through his dying on the cross in the place of sinners. Those who acknowledge their sin and their fault before God and receive forgiveness through what he has offered through his sinless son. If you back up to verse 24, Jesus even says of himself this very thing. Truly, truly, again, seriously, seriously. I say to you, whomever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. So again, you get that context you understand what Jesus is saying. It's, it's a voice that's coming not just for judgment. It is a voice that is saying, there is eternal life for you. It is the appointed voice of Jesus, the Son of God. And he also says that those who hear will live. And so this speaks in general uh, to the dead, right? So that there will be some dead who actually will rise and they will hear the voice and it will condemn. But there will be a voice uh, that they hear and it speaks to them and they will live and they will experience what John 5, 24 speaks of. But consider this, though. The only way to do that and the only way to speak life or judgment is to consider that the voice is not only appointed for my note takers, but it's also the authoritative voice. It is the voice that speaks more loudly and more clearly than any other voice. So pause right here for a moment. What is the authoritative voice in your life right now? Consider that. How do we, even in our own discipleship and following God, make the distinction between the voice of God and the voice of those that are not God? It is very easy for us to listen to a myriad of voices and have the voice of God clouded out. Time in the word, time in prayer, time with other brothers and sisters who can speak the truth into your life and edify you, encourage you, challenge you where you need to be challenged, comfort you when you need comfort with the truth of God's word, God's voice. How many of us have sat with a spouse or a child and this said relationship is being affected negatively because they're listening to the voice that is the voice of error, voice of lies, voice of, tr you know, there, there's, a, there's a distinction there, right? So, for example, someone says, you know, I just can't do this. And, okay, well, who, who told you you couldn't do that? That's a lie. What ultimately happens here with the voice of authority is that one speaks the truth and one speaks lies. We even see Jesus, as he's being tempted by the devil himself, have this experience. Where Satan tempts Jesus to do something that is not what God the Father would have him to do. To not follow the will of God. And ultimately, he is challenged with his ability to discern the Father's voice against that of Satan himself. 
How many of us are being, being trained and, and skilled at discerning God's voice versus that of the enemy, versus that of culture? Because here's the deal. Whichever voice wins out, we will find it to be the authoritative voice. For verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. Now, this is an interesting verse right here because it almost sounds like Jesus is not God. And if you keep reading the text, you get more understanding of why that just can't be the case. Now, first of all, if you go back up further in the context in John 5, you see when Jesus was correcting their understanding of the Sabbath that even the Pharisees thought that Jesus was making himself equal to God. And that's in verse uh, 18 of, of chapter 5. But not to prolong an argument uh, regarding the divinity of Jesus, we can get into that and we, we can talk uh, even afterwards, if you want to talk more about that, what we see here in the text in verses 26 and 27, that the voice of authority that Jesus has, has been delegated to Jesus by the Father, not as a matter of nature or being, but one of function and role, if that makes sense. God delegates to the Son. God the Father delegates to God the Son his role in salvation history. That's what's happening here. This is not an argument about the divinity or the nature of Jesus. This is God the Father and God the Son working out salvation's plan. I'm sending you. You say this. That's how it's working. It's a matter of function and role, not nature. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Do you know that Jesus the son is 100% God and 100% man? That in the immaculate conception, when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb, there was a divine miracle that took place that, that brought into the world Jesus, the Son incarnate. He had always been, according to the prophet Isaiah. Go read Isaiah 9. When it talks about the son that would come and his name would be Emmanuel and, and he would have the government resting on his shoulders. He would be the mighty counselor, the wonderful God. It's talking about the Christ that we're reading about here in John 5. For as the father has life in himself, so he is granted to the son to have life in himself. And then verse 27 goes on and says he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. This again harkens back to either Isaiah or Daniel. When the two prophets, these major prophets, spoke of the son of man who would be coming to be the Christ for the Lord. This is, this is the one who is the anointed one. The Christ, the Messiah, who would speak on behalf of the Godhead. And what we have here in verse 27, again, definitively and clearly the authoritative voice that Jesus 
is helping his listeners to understand. He's speaking of himself at this moment, and he is saying that I personally will be coming back to judge. Pause right here for a moment. One more time. If in any way we have disrespected the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say right now on this side of heaven is the time to get it right. To, to plead with God for mercy and for grace because he is the judge of all the earth. He is the one that holds the scepters. He, he is the one that holds the balances. And he's extremely merciful. Extremely merciful. If we're honest, we find ourselves wanting in God's presence. The Bible clearly says in another place in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all in need of Jesus to speak words of life to us. For there does not go a day when we don't need God's mercy. And what's wonderful about our relationship with Jesus and to have eternal life, it is that his mercy never ends. We learn that from the prophet Jeremiah, don't we? In Lamentations 3, where Jeremiah says, his mercies are new every morning. And, and, and so we, we need to hear that. We need to experience that. And Jesus does not want us to experience judgment. There are many who say that they have authority. Again, we could go through that whole list of those who have those platforms. We could talk about all of the people in legal positions. We could talk about political positions. We could talk about doctors, teachers, philosophers, professors. We could, we could go across the whole gambit of experts in our world and culture. But none of them have the authority that the Son of God has to execute judgment. And we need to be able, as the people of God, as we go into the world, to make that distinction. That there are those that may have a sense of authority. Perhaps they've scholared. Honor that. That's, they, they've studied. There's a scholar who has a particular field or something like that. We have no issue honoring that. But when it comes to the matter of eternal life, Beloved, there is no more authoritative voice than the voice of God. So he says, I, I am the one that will execute the judgment. And, and he's going to execute the judgment again, the son of man, the, the God who is man. He is the God man. And then lastly, he says this, don't marvel at this. And then again, watch this, meticulous detail. He wants to bookend. If you notice that in Scripture, when something's stated once and then repeated, it's bookending all of the content in between. And so he says, don't marvel at this, an hour is coming. So he wants to put back into your mind the framework for how God is working out the end, the, the beginning and the entirety to the end of salvation history. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now here, the last point is this notion of the powerful voice. And I'll take my seat. Just how powerful is the voice of the Son of God? How powerful do you think his voice is? Well, you don't need to look any further than just to flip to the front of your Bible and read Genesis chapter 1. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you get a glimpse here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, the earth was form, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then verse 3, here it is. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Whoa. How powerful do you have to be to say, let there be light, and then light appears? I mean, it's staggering. I, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I just, I don't have the mathematics to help you understand how powerful you would have to be to speak light into existence. But my, my point, though, is, is not to get into the scientific method of creating light. My, actually, my point is to say something more about Jesus and his authoritative voice, his voice of power, because Genesis 1 squares with Hebrews 1. That's why it's important for the people of God to be in our word. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, almost sounds like in the beginning, right? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Whoa. So just how powerful is the voice of the son of God? It's, it's powerful enough to speak all of what we know as creation into existence. It's powerful enough to bring the dead out of their tombs. It's powerful enough to speak and to give new life into the heart of those who are disbelieving in who he is. And then finishing this thought here with another portion of scripture, just because scripture is good for us. Revelation chapter 20 says this. Revelation 20, when we're looking at the end of all time, then I saw... A great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Didn't I tell you God was meticulous? Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades, or death in hell, gave up the dead who were in it. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he, or for that matter, she, 
was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the powerful voice of God. The powerful voice of the Son of God. It's an appointed voice. It's the authoritative voice. It is the powerful voice. It is the one voice that designates either a resurrection to eternal life or a resurrection to eternal judgment. In closing with this quote from Carl F. Henry in his book, God, Revelation, and Authority, God Who Speaks and Shows, he says this, knowledge of God, the supreme knowledge requires the maximal human adjustment. (laughs) I love this quote. Only special revelation and grace which aim to restore man to the knowledge for which he was created can master the noetic effects of sin. So, so what is he saying? What is the scholar saying? Dumb it down for us, Carl. Ultimately, he is saying only the gospel grants us eternal life. Only the gospel grants us eternal life and keeps us from eternal judgment. You get both from the voice of the Son of God. Let's turn to him for life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray now, Lord, and and ask, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to uh, listen to your voice, to draw near to you. And we ask, Lord, that in any way, Lord, we are looking to some source of authority or considering someone or something more powerful than you, Lord, correct our hearts, Lord. Help us to know that you are good and faithful and that when you speak, your voice grants eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.